This is the MFG Cast. Hey guys, it's Kurt. And this is Wyatt. And welcome to the episode where we go, hey, do you like this game? Let's try that game. We're going to introduce some games that might be a little similar to a little game called Reef by Next Move Games, designed by Emerson Masucci. By the way, I just got to know, man, I love your intro and uh, it's like, I like how this is the most looked forward to episode of the year. The game where we introduce you to some games... If you've heard of this little game, Goldrie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's how I get them. Hook, line, and sinker. I would have loved it if it was hook, line, and something that people buy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> hook, line, and line. So I'm going to take credit for this suggestion because uh, I've actually been getting to play a bit of Reef. I got it actually towards holiday uh, end of last year. After hearing you talk about it so much when we did our review of the game, I was like, you know what? I think I got to try this. And as soon as I played my first game, I got hooked, man. Nice. Um, so for anyone that may have missed that episode or needs a little quick recap, Reef is basically a fantastic puzzly game where every turn your actions are incredibly simple. You're either taking a card or playing a card. And everyone's going to look at this game probably and think what I thought initially. It's like, oh, this looks really simple or, oh, you know, it's... It's probably like not too complex or something because it's only like a 1.85 on that whole complexity rating on BGG. Until you play the game a few times and then you're tormenting yourself over when do I play what card because your like unending need of greed and points is just telling you, no, don't play that card. You can get 16 points if you wait one more round, but you got to get something to get that coral to get those points because it's a whole thing of perfect timing. Every time you play your card, you get to play some coral, but then you score with the bottom of the card. And you're like, well, I want to put this here so the next card gives me points. But if I do put this here, I'm going to ruin the points on this card. So it's it's a lot of like interesting choice. And the giant chunky pieces, the nice like simple oceanic artwork, and just that brain burn that some people get from this game make it really, really awesome. It's one of those that it seems, yeah, like you said, it seems simple, but there's a lot, there's a lot to it, you know? And... There could be these, you know, there can be those cards where you get that those color coral that you want right now, but you know, at the bottom, you're like, you see the score on the bottom of it, and you're like, oh god, if I ruin, if I can't score this right now, if I don't, if I don't wait till later, then I can't score these great points. But then again, sometimes you have to sacrifice and go. Well, obviously, I'm not going to be able to do this now, and if I do, maybe this will take me several several turns to get there. So you have to be like, okay, well, I can. I can only hope that the next cards coming up after we, you know, kind of pick other cards will be the one that I need. Yeah, and that's one of the great things about this because, you know, like, you'll be playing and it's like, 
Uh, you know, I take a card, and Kurt takes a card that has two green pieces of coral on it. I'm like, all right. And then Kurt's next turn, he takes a card that gives him a piece of green coral and purple. And then the next card he takes is two green coral again. And you kind of start, like, formulating in your head. It's like, ah, damn it. He's either got something where it's like all the green coral surrounding is worth points or every two-stack green coral is worth points. Like, he's got something, and, and he's going to totally screw me with his score on this. It's not going to be good. And that's another fun part of the game because you're trying to read your opponents a little because if the deck runs out or any color of coral runs out, that's like the end game trigger. So when there's only like three pieces of yellow coral left and you see somebody taking yellow cards, you're like, hey, 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 what are you doing over there? Like you instantly, you know, feel that panic. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, again, it's a it's a strategy in Reef that you can do in other games where it's like, okay, you know, I'm going to take this card away because I know it's going to give that person the coral that they need. But at the same time, is it something that's going to screw me over and give me less points? So then I'm going to be in trouble, you know? So it's like, you have to weigh those options. It's like, okay, do I take this? And I know that that's, you know, they're going for the, the four stack of green and I need to get the green or whatever. Or, you know, is it something where it's like, okay, it it's the, the uh, uh, stack of two red and then this and then another stack of two red that's kind of perpendicular or whatever you know it, there's you know a lot of options in, the, in this game and a lot of things to go in your head you know where when you look at the game like everything is is very simple it's very easy to learn the pieces there's not a lot there there's you know just the pieces the card the board learn you know go for it you know so well and the coins yeah, the, like the victory point things and everything. The victory points, yeah. So it's like, you know, there's not a lot there, but there there is. It can be um, tricky because when I first saw the game, you know, saw the, like, the pieces and stuff like that, I was kind of like, wow, this looks, to tell you the truth, this looks kind of boring. I don't know if this is, you know, something that I'm going to be super excited about. But then when you get into it and you actually play the game, you're like, wow, this, you know, Emerson... Who, who has also done the... Why am I blinking? Why am I blinking? Um, so to give you a little highlight, some of the Emerson Matsuchi uh, games include Century Spice Road, Eastern Wonders, Golem Edition. He also made Crossfire, not the one with the little steel beads that you shoot through the gun. Oh, cro- that original Crossfire is definitely the best. Yeah. And a, uh, a little game you might have heard of called Spectre Ops. So, I mean, he has he's made an interesting spectrum of games. And uh, I, I got to admit, like, I think Sentry was probably the game that hooked me, like, the most out of all those from him. Mm-hmm. But Reef is definitely, like, right on its heels. Um, it's, it's definitely suit, like, it definitely scratches a very different pitch. I get totally different things out of, like, Sentry and this. It's not even, like, you know, like, a lot of the UA Rosenberg games, you're like, all right, I'm going to have to feed some people and I'm going to get some Tetris pieces and I start out at negative 400 points. All right, let's start doing this. And, you know, that's fine. Like, you know, you use, you like that and it's cool, you know. And um, granted, I've only played uh, two games by Reiner Stockhausen so far, but it's like, let me guess, it's going to be punch-out shits that go in a bag, right? Because <laughs> one game was about, def- like, exploring, like, the French countryside during, like, you know, the Renaissance times. And another game is about traveling around an island making uh, bricks and glass. But both of them use a bag with chits. And it's like, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Matsuchi does not seem to follow that pattern. 
uh, which is pretty cool. Um, what yeah. are the things? I, oh, actually, sorry. Okay, yeah, I just want to interrupt really quick. I I always wonder, you know, how designers go down their paths, you know, because it seems like you know, again with Emerson, it seems like he's got a lot of different games that have maybe have some similar things, but you know, seem very different in their you know aspects and stuff like that. And then there's other people that kind of go down the same path, you know, and I wonder, you know, I wonder if that's a conscious choice or I wonder if I wonder if that's just something where it just kind of it's happenstance, you know, it just kind of you know, it just kind of happens and it's not really a thing they think about. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it seems like designers are curious about, like, how can I make this work in this game idea? And then sometimes you'll notice that some designers are just like, hey, I think it would be interesting if this was to be in a game. And that's yeah. one thing I always enjoy about this. Like when I see these like wild and vastly different changes and all. Yeah. I almost wonder, and I'd like to, I'd like to have this be a question I ask anybody who makes a game now and ask them, is it something that do you go out there thinking, you know, I want to make, I want to know if there is a designer out there that goes out thinking when I make one game, and I make the next game, I don't want them to be to people for people to put them in a, in a group, you know, like the yeah, whole Reinhardt stock Stockhausen kind of thing, you know, like I'm not just a bag of, you know, a chit bag kind of guy, you know, I want to be, I want to be, <laughs> oh, be this... a real chit bag, you know? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. As soon as I said, it, as soon as the words came out of my mouth, I'm like, that's awful. But like, you know, I, I just, I, I wonder, you know, if there's a game designer out there that's like, you know what, every single game I'm going to have is going to be vastly different from the last. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's definitely something, uh, you know, we might have to look into that down the road. Yeah, definitely. That's, that, that sounds like an episode. All right. Back to what we were talking about. So one of the things that I really enjoy about Reef is like, besides, you know, like gameplay and the fun, everything is great. But what I like is it's not a box full of air. Like those coral pieces are giant and chunky. There's a ton inside the box. And it's another game that and it scales really well. Like it's another game where, oh, if you're playing with like one less player, you take out four of each color. If you're playing with two less players, you take out eight, eight of each color. Just like speed the game along. But the other thing too is it's a nice price tag. It's 40 bucks. Now it's, you know, the deck of cards that you're using with like all the coral and the pieces and the scoring. Like you mentioned before, the victory point things. And what I like is different color shades, different sizes. It's not all the same size token, which is always a plus. And also, you know, those giant coral chunks. And, you know, that's like, there's a lot of plastic in that box. They could have gone the route of going for a little higher, but much like his other game of Century, that $40 price tag definitely makes it a little more inviting to pick up and give it a spin. Definitely. You know, especially when you can look around online and sometimes find it for like, say, 30. So, the, like, the things to me that stand out with Reef is like the value is amazing. You get really nice pieces. Aesthetically, in front of people, it looks nice because as you're stacking up the coral, like, that is something that people like. Very few games take a vertical stance on something and grow as the coral does in the game. So, like, that's something that people are like, oh, hey, what is this? Can I check that out? There's a lot of pluses to this game. And, uh, and as you probably know, me and Kim like love those abstract puzzle things against each other. You know, uh, we're always like trying to find a new way of taking each other down. And, uh, 
And if you hear some minute noises in the background, it's just the dog terrorizing through the house because he also loves these abstract puzzlers. He just gets all amped up when he hears about them. Yeah. It's too bad that he doesn't have thumbs, so he's not very good at them. Yeah, the puppy loves Santorini, and my favorite pieces are the 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 thing with the game is the pieces are too big for him to eat. So, <laughs> <laughs> I figure uh, if you like, would you like to? We'll start with our uh, one of our games on the list of if you like Reef uh, being Sagrada. Uh, so it's designed by and good lord, I apologize in advance for these. Adrian Adamescu and Daryl Andrews. Uh, it's done by Floodgate Games, who makes many awesome titles, including Baltimore's and a few others. Uh, so, Kurt, why don't you take it away and tell us what makes Sagrada so great and another game to check out if you like Reef. Well, I think with Sagrada, just like we talked about with Reef, I think that you know one of the one of the great great aspects about Sagrada is the look. Like you've got you've got your stained glass panes, you've got your dice. You've got the the little cards that go into your little stained glass area or whatever, and those are even colorful with all the colors, and then even the muted like blacks and whites and stuff like that look awesome. It's one, a, a, it's one of those that when you play it too, it's also it doesn't look like it's got a super ton of strategy, but it actually does with the dice placement because you're doing the dice drafting, but you also have to be mind again, you have to be mindful of what spots you play. And then, you know, if you want to take something away from someone else, you have to, again, just like Reef, it's like, okay, do I put this in this spot here? And it might sacrifice something that I do later, because a lot of times with Sagrada, filling up your whole stained glass area is a good thing. And even if you have one dice that's missing on your board, that could be detrimental to your winning or losing this game. So... Follow up on something you were mentioning, like, you know, again, that whole thing of, like, Sagrada looks easy. Mm-hmm. There's very few things that's satisfying is the first time somebody plays this, and they're like, oh, it's not hard. And then when there's only, like, two or three rounds left, they're like, I can't place any dice anywhere. What the hell? And you're like, oh, but it's not that hard. Like, <laughs> yeah. Because there's one thing I really enjoy in gaming. It's viciously mocking people for... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tracy, Tracy's been good at that with me lately. Like, I've been doing that on the last couple of turns. I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, I know I'm going to lose this game. Why am I sitting here, like, fretting over what my last couple of moves could be? Because I'm going to be done anyway. Yeah, and it's and then you just come down to that, okay, so which dice should I burn? So, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, like, uh, you know, you mentioned a lot of, like, what makes the Grotty great and all the interesting aspects. One of the things that I always enjoy with this game is that it plays relatively quick. It's a, unlike Reef, it does have a fixed clock of 10 rounds, right? Mm-hmm. So like Reef, sometimes you're like, oh man, you know, like, uh, like uh, you're trying to keep an eye out on when things are going to end. The good news thing in Sagrada is you know when it's going to end. The bad news is it's probably going to end poorly. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're playing against me, in which case I call dibs on last place because apparently that's <laughs> how I score in Sagrada. Well, hey, when we actually get together, me and you should play a two-player game to figure out who is the worst player in the world. Yeah, but here's the problem. We're gonna tie. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. So, and I, I don't know. I don't know if there's an end game thing after that, but I really hope it's just a shared victory. Yeah, or in our case, shared defeat. It's like if playing two players and it's a tie, you both lose. You're like, well, that's mean to put in a rule book. 
Um, so. Oh yeah, <laughs> it doesn't. It it can't end in a tie. We can do it, Dan. We can see who's the biggest loser. If it doesn't, so what? If you both get the same score, you have to have a knife fight in an elevator. Oh geez, what is it? Let's see. It says. <laughs> Ties are broken by the most points by private objectives, most remaining fl- favor tokens, then finally by reverse player order. <laughs> what a terrible, terrible way to end that. Ooh. Hey, you're second place. You lose. Yeah. Or you're second player. You lose. I would like it if it's whoever can break a window and stab the other person with glass first. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That, so- that sounds like a, definitely a better way to re- resolve that. You're just playing against somebody never breaking eye contact. You're always matching them. They're like, man, it's like you're trying to get a tie or something. You're like, I know, right? It's so weird. <laughs> yeah, as as someone as you have that the as you have the glass shard hanging yeah. <laughs> below the table in your hand and you're bleeding a little bit. Okay, that like, dark, sorry. Like the Sword of Damocles. So anyway, even though we're on a super tangent here, apologies for that. Um, we're still talking about Sagrada. Yeah, we are actually, technically. So, like I said, the thing I like about this one is, like, you know, you got the clock, so it's a little bit of a different pressure than Reef. Again, the other thing too is the scoring opportunities in this game. It's like, do you want to put this down because it's going to score your private objective? Do you want to go for this dice because it's actually going to complete... Um, the public scoring, you know, like, do you want to use these tools? Because you might need those extra few points at the end. There's a lot of cool, meaningful decisions in here. And those little translucent dice are another thing that does bring people over. Now, one thing with Sagrada is uh, the price, like, you know, because price and value is a big thing. Uh, akin to, you know, Reef, it's like you're getting tons of dice in this game. So, in theory, if you need dice for any other game, print and plays, keeping track of things in like other board games, you could use these dice for that. If you picked up a little Chessex dice set, like the 36 dice thing, those usually go for about like 15 to 20 bucks based on what kind you get. Uh, in this thing, I think you get 90 dice. Plus the bag, the windows, the glass things. You know, this is, this is a good cut of this game. Usually goes for about 50 bucks. Um, the downside is when it's hard to find this game, you see crazy talk prices. Um, sometimes you see it going for like 80 or 90 or $100. Good news is Barnes & Noble carries it. So if you look around and you're like, oh man, Amazon doesn't have it. And uh, Cool Stuff doesn't have it. Check out Barnes & Noble because you don't think to go there for those type of games. And they have a lot of awesome stuff lately. Yeah. Here's Here's breaking news. I've I found it on Amazon. It's an Amazon's choice at thirty eight forty seven, which is a steal of a deal. Yeah, that's a great price. Cool. Um, yeah, because I see people selling it on BGG used market for fifty. I'm like, you're a crazy person. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's just like, that's just yeah. like anybody third person selling yeah. stuff. It's like, oh, I've got Dead Man's Draw. It retails for twenty bucks. Who wants it for seventy five? Yeah. You know, I'll take like, three, please. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that is Sagrada. Um, so if you like dice, if you like if you like seeing people sweat, and you're looking for uh, a potentially more condensed version, and plus if you ever get the expansion, uh, you can play Sagrada up to five to six players. So if you're looking for a higher player count, that's a way to squeeze that in. Yep, and they've got another expansion that's coming out fairly soon. I think they have like 15 expansions. They have like a, a insane amount of expansions planned for this game. Um, for me, I'm like, you can tell Sagrada has done well because Floodgate's like, let's terraforming Mars this thing. Expansions <laughs> all the times. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, well, the thing is, the thing, the thing that actually makes me think that it's well worth the money is that Daryl Andrews is actually a very good designer. You know, if it was somebody else that I was that I wasn't well aware of, I maybe be like, okay, do I really need these? But because 
because he's got such a good pedigree. I trust that, you know, yeah, it doesn't I mean, mean that it won't, it doesn't mean that it won't go south because things happen, <laughs> but you know, I do, I do trust it. Yeah. And, and he has worked on uh, quite a handful of games. That's right. Okay. Um, another game that I think that kind of fits the category. If you like grief, try this. Um, it's something that is also very puzzly, also very beautiful, and also hard hard to play, especially for me, is Dragon Castle. Designed by Lorenzo Silva. Oh boy. Helmer Hack? I'm going to say it's that. I'm sure it's not. And Luca Ricci. And produced by Simon. Or, design, or uh, published by Simon. So Dan, just because I know you're better at describing this game than I would be, if you don't mind to tell the people what Dragon Castle is all about. So Dragon Castle is it's another beautiful game uh, where, like, basically using Mahjong tiles. Like, there's a few suits and, like, tiles that aren't in Mahjong itself, like the swords and all that. Mm-hmm. But all those tiles are actually supposed to be the representation of this, like, crumbling dragon castle. And it's another game of, like, those simple choices, right? Like, you can, like, so you're going to take a tile and, like, from the outside and a matching symbol tile from the outside. And, like, that's your pair. So you can like take those two tiles and place them on your board. But once you get four more tiles of like similar suits together, they basically bond, they become a foundation for like your temple and you'll score points. So when you're placing these things, you kind of get a little puzzle of like, oh, if I put this one over here and this over here, like you can start spacing them out where when you place those two tiles, it's like, I'll bridge these three, put this tile here to link those three to these two That'll be five, and then I'll put the other tile over here, linking those to these other two. Now I got eight, and you're getting crazy town points. Another aspect of the game is you can also get these like temple roofs, and temple roofs are another way to score points, and that's going to be by taking like less tile. And then the other thing you might be doing is like activating these dragon spirits that'll let you do these like little game changers and almost like cheats. So the game has, you know, again, it has like that interesting complexity of timing. When do you want these tiles to flip? Because when you have the tile space up, you can't put anything on top of them. and You have a limited board. It has an interesting approach because the way that you form the dragon castle, there's like all these different formations in the book. And they even suggest to you, like, try your own. Like, here's a tile, like, here's a board layout where you can just put the tiles however you wish. It has that slightly evil aspect where I see that you have five of the dots out, Kurt. I don't want you to get those. And there's only one on the edge. I'm going to take that. You know what? I don't even really need this. I'm going to get it. I'm going to cash it in for a roof. I just wanted you to know that you can't have it now. So it has a lot of like, again, like this interesting choices, meaningful decisions, like the timing, when to take, when to place, when to flip, when to activate. It all comes into play, and I like that a lot. Yeah, it's got that thing kind of similar to Reef where it's like, you know, do you want to take that, you know, that one tile that you know is going to screw over (laughs) your opponent or whatever and might be good for you and it might not, you know? Also, it's got, you know, because it's kind of set up Mahjong style, you can kind of see some of the tiles around on other different floors and you start from the top and you kind of build down... Wait, no, you don't start from the top, you build down. It's whatever is visible. Yeah, it's like, so when you're taking from the castle, you're basically starting, like, your first pick always has to be from the top, and then you can take from the outskirts. 
But like yeah. when you're building yours, you're building foundation first. Mm-hmm. So even like that's pretty cool. And what I like is, uh, I was going to quick mention about the castle. It's another one of the few games that has the vertical ascendancy. So like you have the tiles with tiles on top of the tiles on top of the tiles. And it's great because a lot of people, when they see this game, they're like, oh my God, is that like the old computer version of Mahjong? You're like, kind of, sort of, but not really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you can still score, you know, on different tiles and stuff like that, depending upon the different levels on your board and stuff like that too. Um, and it's, it's something where I think it's more complex in Reef in that way because sometimes and this is actually a complaint I have when playing this game, is sometimes it's hard to see exactly what you're doing on your board. So if you don't remember, like, oh, I've got these stacked up, and then there's there's this little tile hiding behind, you're like, oh, no, I forgot that this thing is sitting here. I need probably need to take care of that, you know? So you have to kind of be more aware of your board than you would be in Reef, I think. Yeah, it's one of the biggest things I would say in Dragon Castle is... Uh, almost akin to Sagrada, it is possible to kind of knife yourself without meaning to. You're oh, like, yeah. You're like, no, oh, but my space, and, oh, but I need that tile. I don't know what to do. <laughs> and and you're the one that put all those tiles there, so you kind of have no one to blame. Uh, yeah, exactly. And, but I like that because I love any game where your greed is both your motivator and your undoing. You know? <laughs> yeah. I think with, and this is kind of a common theme with all these games that we're pointing out, all of these games that we've talked about so far in the next couple that we'll talk about too, everything looks beautiful. Like it really, it you're really getting a lot of eye candy for the money that you pay for it, you know? And you're another thing is you're also, you're also getting a lot of good quality components too, you know, with like these Mahjong tiles and the art on them. They're very, it's very beautiful. You know, the Dyson Sagrada, those are very beautiful. The, coral and reef they're nice chunky bits and they're good colors and you know it looks awesome on the on your boards you know so like you know all of this has you know these similarities of just like you know really good visuals and really good you know kind of your your bang for your buck like we like we always talk about yeah i was gonna say that's one thing i do like this like the amount of tiles that you get the fact that they have a lot of different formations on how you want to play like playing the base design of the dragon castle versus playing the crumbling towers where you change how you're setting up those tiles. It does change the game up a lot. There's, there's a lot of play in that box. And speaking of the value, like I just quick checked around like online, you see it for about 40 bucks at a lot of the online retailers. You can also find a couple of used copies on the geek market for like about 25, $30, which is always nice. Nice. And um, one of the things I would say is if you are curious about this one, because, like, I got... Simon, I like a lot of their non-mini games lately, actually. Like, they put out Potion Explosion. They put out uh, Gateway Uprising and a few others. Uh, Rodney Smith has a How to Play Dragon Castle video. It's only 12 minutes. Nice. So, if you want to get an idea of how this game plays and see if it'll, like, fit in your wheelhouse, I would say check it out. Because probably of all the games we're talking about, this is, like, the highest price one. It's still very reasonable. But it's slightly higher than all the other games that we're mentioning. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of other games that we're mentioning, <laughs> that's what we in the biz call segue. <laughs> There's a little game that I picked up recently called Kodinka. Uh, this one is designed by Leonard Boyd and David Bradshaw. And the reason I checked it out is it's published by Backspin the Games, 
who you might remember from a couple of years ago, they put out Luchador, the Mexican dice wrestling game that I love to death. So I was like, you know what? Uh, Baxmindle had a tweet about it, noting it's like, if you kind of like Azul, check this out. I'm like, all right, you did good with, uh, you know, Luchador. I'll give it a spin because it's like 20 bucks and uh, another game that you can find in Barnes and Nobles and a few other places. So um, it's re-implemented by Clax, a Discworld adventure. So um, a little, a few things with Kodinka. Right out of the gate, when you look at some of the pictures of this game and you look inside, the tiles are going to probably immediately remind you of Azul. Right. Oh, totally. It's like a starburst. I want to eat them. <laughs> yes. There's 16 tiles, and they represent the four elements. And one side is like a white side, and the other side is the same symbol, except in gold. Every player is going to choose one of these elements. That is your element. And you're going to be dealt all these like little scoring discs. Now, it'll show you like a pattern. So say it's a straight line where it's like white, white, gold, gold you need to get your tiles in that pattern and those spacings accordingly, like the white tiles where they are and the gold spacings where they are. Once you do that, you can show your card, show that you, sco you scored, and then that's like a key to opening this ancient temple. And that's the thematic of these, like there's these stones atop the temple and you must find these patterns to be able to unlock the doorways and find the treasures within. It's like you have a small square pattern, a large square pattern, a straight line pattern, and a diagonal pattern. Everyone's trying to score the same four types of keys, but you don't know what they want where. The beauty of this game is you also deal out everyone three trap tiles. Trap tiles do two, like three different things, actually. And it's a game of, before I get into these trap tiles real quick, it's a game of another two action thing where you can swap one of your tiles in the location of an adjacent tile orthogonally you can flip a tile to turn it from white to gold so you can like move move or move flip or double flip and one of the cool things about the double flip action is you can actually flip one of your opponent's tiles just to be let's slow you down a touch like i know you want gold over there let's make you waste an action so those trap tiles that i was mentioning they let you do a couple of interesting things like you can rotate four tiles clockwise so it's kind of like a shifting uh, gear almost. So you're actually going to move four tiles by giving up that sort of card. Or you can take one tile at the end and slide it to the opposite side and bump everything along. So it's a way of getting you to jump one of your pieces really far, really quick. The last thing with these trap tiles is on the other side, it'll show a random pattern of like the board with some white and some gold. You can change that in orient any orientation, and then you flip every tile on the board to match those color patterns. So like white, white, gold, gold, white, white, gold, 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 white, white. It's a great way to make your pattern happen by just playing one card. You're like, oh, I need a straight line of all white. Hey, look, and now it happens. Like I, instead of doing two rounds of flipping cards by playing that trap card, you made it happen instantly. It's a very small box game. The table space is very minimal. Like you can play this in a coffee shop or something. It is very fun. Uh, I would say back spindle so far is two for two. I'm very pleased with this one. It's another really cheap game. Um, like right now it's on Amazon for about 20 bucks. The amount of puzzle cards, like the trap cards is pretty high. The puzzle cards for the players, I think there's only like about six of each and the game goes up to four players. 
but you don't really need more than that because like i said it's just these patterns of white and gold like you know that they have to make a straight line it's just where do they need their white and gold and what's cool is like as you're making your patterns you're undoing other people's work like it's not really worth making spite moves in the game because you're not getting anything but it's by timing and playing those trap cards correctly and like when to use them that's how you win games in Kodinka. nice i have not played this game but it sounds very intriguing i like the i like the simplicity of it again the components of it look phenomenal so again it's just another a pretty you know another pretty game but it looks like it's got you know a decent amount of complexity to it to where you know it's a you know a little more a little more complex than you would think just like reef you know it's like oh okay you know, this isn't just, you know, flipping a thing here, flipping a thing there, putting a card down there. Like, there's a little more strategy to it, but not too much to where you're like, okay, I'm confused. What do I do now? Yeah, like, honestly, the only strike I would say on Kodinka is that, like, maybe the box can use a little better presence. Like, on the back, maybe show a little more of the play styles and such. Because mm-hmm. I must have picked this game and looked at it about a dozen times. And I was always like, man, it seems all right, it seems all right. But once I saw that tweet about, you know, like, hey, uh, you know, if you're if you're thinking about Azul, this game is half the price and, you know, also offers abstract puzzle strategy. I was like, we love Azul. Let's check this out. And I was super pleased. Um, nice. Also, I like the fact that the size makes it where this can easily become a glove box game like this might go in the car. Right. With like the uh, Lost Legacy and Oh My Goods, where. You know, because we could play this in a coffee shop. We could break it out anywhere. And it plays pretty quick. Like, Kim and I play two-player games. The time on the site is saying about 30 minutes. I would say that's, like, maybe for, like, three or four players. Me and Kim can bang out a game of this in about 15 minutes flat now, which is great. Nice. Yeah. I definitely see your point on box presence because I feel like a lot of companies really strike out on that. And I I know it's... You know, we all can't be, you know, CMON or whatever that has, you know, all this production, but still, like, sometimes the right pictures, sometimes the right writing will even, like, you know, even the right examples, like you say, can really, you know, hook somebody. Like, uh, for Christmas, this is just a little segue, but um, Mike got me Edge of Darkness by Golden Egg Games. And I was like, oh, okay, you know, and Mike's like, well, this look, you know, it looked kind of cool. I was looking through some stuff, you know, and it's the same company that makes this, uh, they make this game that me and Mike played where you're making your own TV shows and stuff like that. And I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but. The Networks? Oh, Golden Egg, uh, Primetime. Yes, yes, that's right. And um, the box art is, I'm sorry, it's, it's awful. Like the it's kind of a post post-apocalyptic kind of game. The art on the front is not great. The stuff on the back does not, it didn't pull me in. Now I haven't played the game yet. I'm sure it's probably good, you know, but still just the box presence itself. Like if I would have seen this in a store, I would have not given it a second glance, you know? So you have, you have to be careful with that kind of stuff. Yeah. And sometimes like, sometimes minimalism works. Like take, for example, uh, a game on your shelf. I see behind you, Disney's villainous. If it didn't say Disney's villainous, that game would have bombed because yeah. the box is just like, ooh, it's murky. Mm-hmm. But because, you know, it's Disney, it gives that hook. A game like Kodinka, you know, like, because, um, uh, you know, a lot of games are named after places. Like, I showed it to a friend, and he's like, oh, is that like a like a jungle? Because, like, in the background, it, like, it looks like an Amazon or whatever. He's like, oh, is that like a jungle or something? And I'm like, sure. 
you know, it's, I have no idea. <laughs> but the yeah. play, you know, like for me, it's all about that abstract play. Like I've been really getting into those uh, ever since like, you know, like my rebirth of uh, Santorini and everything. And Kodinka is, I would say, probably going to be the cheapest one on our list, possibly rivaled by Lanterns, uh, probably like around the same price maybe. But yeah, um, even though I've only had it for a short while, I've been having a blast with it. And like I said that portability and play is fantastic. Now, I just mentioned Lanterns. You want to tell us a little bit about that one, Kurt? Wait a minute. We're talking about Lanterns? Wait a minute. Nobody told me. So if Lanterns. we had like show notes or something, right? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? So Lanterns, the Harvest Festival, uh, created by Christopher Chung and published by Foxtrot and Reddit Games. Again, same same kind of stuff here, like beautiful art the way you have to make choices on where you're laying tiles because in this game you're you're starting with a lake tile and you're adding lake tiles that have lanterns in them because you're st- you're trying to do this huge harvest festival with all these lanterns to make it this big celebration so you're you know you're adding tiles you're gaining cards to do a set collection and stuff like that it's beautiful but again you have to, it's like some of these other games that we talked about where when you're, you know, laying down these lake tiles to gain the um, cards for the set collection, you are deciding, okay, is this something I want for myself? You know, so you can actually run out of cards, so you can actually kind of screw the other people over, where you can be like, okay, I know this person needs, you know, another red card for their for their um, set collection for the points, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take this from them. When you're playing the tiles, you have to be mindful of the future, just like in some of these other games that we talked about. So when you're laying your lake tiles, depending upon the direction that they're facing your other players, you'll get those cards. And also you'll get bonuses too, if you think about it, where if you match up colors, you'll get that bonus card too. So you have to be very mindful of that. So, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's like, okay, so I'm going to get these cards that I need for now, am I going to get these other cards to all my other opponents that are going to make them score higher in the future here? And it's going to kind of screw me over for the end. So you have to be really mindful of every move you make and every step you take. I'm watching, you know, yeah, I was going to say in every breath you make. <laughs> that's um, right. I got to say like, so that's one of the things with lanterns that is definitely like an interesting hook in this because, you know, when we first played it, uh, my friend was like, all right, we got to like sit actually around the table because it's going to matter. And I'm like, okay, whatever. <laughs> and then when he mentioned that whole thing about how you place a tile, it'll help others. I was like, that's kind of cool. And it also wrecked me the first time we played. I made so many careless mistakes. Like, I definitely think I, I did king making without even meaning to. <laughs> nice. It's like, I'll play this tile and I get like two points. And they're like, cool, you just gave Mike seven. And I'm like, oh, son of a <laughs> yeah lanterns is definitely a game that rewards like repeated play because you want to start recognizing those patterns beforehand yeah you know and and that's like that's one thing too like the the like the way you play it kind of does give me that reef uh reminder yeah where it's like if you play this one now think about what you're going to get first if you wait two more turns yeah it's definitely a hey pay attention to what you're doing every turn otherwise you could really be you know get yourself in in trouble for the future yeah now one thing that i is also kind of nice about this game is 
you know, we're talking about like price and value. You know, it's like mainly just like cardboard punch outs of those, like, those little lantern lake tiles and everything. You got the little deck of cards and all that. Uh, price isn't too bad. Uh, you usually see it for around like 25 to 30. I think like 35 might be the MSRP. Mm-hmm. But what's nice is, say you want to give this game a spin to see if it is in your real house. There is an app of Harvest the Lantern Festival, and you can get it for like five bucks. Nice. That's not a bad way to check out a game, see if you like it. Yeah, and I, I'm pretty sure that a lot of people say that the production value in Lanterns is amazing because of the lanterns actually going off and stuff like that in the background as you play cards and stuff like that too. Yeah, like it looks pretty nice. Um, a friend of mine said that uh, it kind of gives him like almost a visual uh, reminder of like Hanabi. Nice. You know, with like how there's like the different, uh, you know, different styles and facing different directions. I was like, yeah, I think that's like what inspired him to pick it up in the first place. Mm-hmm. And again, it's just it's just like a reef. It's very simple to learn, very simple to learn, very simple to play. I think this is one of the one of the games that we were e- we easily play with Logan, and he this is gosh we got this you know a few years back, so he was probably like five or six at the time. So for you know for him to be able to grasp it and play it pretty easily, that that uh, says something. Yeah, it's easy to forget how long Lanterns has been out because uh, you know people don't really mention it as much anymore. But, like, I'm looking at, like, some of the videos, and it's like, oh, this was posted four years ago. I'm like, oh, my Lord. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's one of those games that I think that a lot of people, if you say Lanterns, they're like, oh, I love that game. You know, maybe they don't play it as much anymore, which is fine, but it's still a game that is in people's minds and is still a fun. I, I really enjoy playing it. Yeah, I might have to revisit this because it's been a little bit of time for me since playing this one. Yeah, definitely. But... And, uh, and at the time, like, when I first checked it out, you know, I wasn't as much into the abstract games. But now I think, like, you know, the, the love might be a little uh, renewed for it. Yeah, so, yeah, because you guys have been playing abstract games up the keister. Yeah, I think part of the appeal of them is just, like, that, like, you know, the time factor. Like, there's very few abstract games that, like, take, like, two hours to play. Yeah, that's true. So, and when you have a uh, tornado of teeth that always wants to play, you know, shorter is better. That's why Roland Wright's been so big for this lately, too. <laughs> perfect that's what they need a reef roll and write game let's get on that <laughs> yeah there you go there you go that could be easily done i bet you too so we're kind of giving you examples of things that are similar to reef you know is there something that pops into your head something that you're thinking oh my god you guys you're obviously missing this game let us know we we're at mfgcast on twitter we have our own facebook page so come like that come on hang out in the conversation here don't let me and Dan be the only one posting pictures of games that we're playing that we love. Come in, the, you know, we love talking with you about stuff. So please don't be afraid to join in the conversation. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it is always fun when, you know, you go out, you see like somebody posting a picture of that game on the, on the page. And it's like, oh, damn, I want to play that now. <laughs> yep, yep. I love that. I love that. So go out there, play some games that are similar to Reef, like the ones that we talked about. And until next time, I'm Kurt. And this is D. Wyatt, master of all the coral. (laughs) And this was the MFG cast. Thanks for listening. Legends of Tabletop Podcast. Creating legends one die at a time.